Welcome to episode 224. As we embark on this new post-pandemic road, it's time to both survey the damage and embrace the golden opportunities. Life after the storm. That's today on The Reclaimed Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 224 of The Reclaimed Leader, Equipping Churches for Turnaround Change. I'm Jason Tucker, here again with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Uh, I'm here, Jason, and that is a good thing. <laughs> no, uh, really good. No serious complaints. You know, there's always things that we're working on, trying to make better, uh, hard conversations that we're wading through. Just all the stuff of leadership, right? Is it, it's uh, it's a constant. And um, you know, as leaders, we learn to navigate through. We we uh, we adapt. We we do what we need to do to keep things moving forward. And one of the reasons I appreciate our conversations every week is it reminds me or calls me back to. The reality that you know this this leadership thing that we do is really uh, a stewardship thing. It's a, a God entrusts us to this role. Um, there's some great purpose. There's a lot of joy in it when when we navigate through hard things and come out the other side. So there's just a lot that I feel you know related to leadership right now, and especially as we kind of see what seems like the fog lifting, things changing substantively finally on the pandemic, and now is our time as leaders. You know, so what's that going to look like? What are we going to do? How are we going to step forward into this new moment? And so anyway, looking forward to our conversation today because it's, we're just talking about how do we look at what's happened and then how do we move forward? How do we keep, how do we keep going? And we've declared victory before. So we sure have, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's so what it's... we were kidding. We looked back through some of our episodes and we were like, uh, is now the time? And nope, it wasn't yet. It, it wasn't yet, but it yeah. doesn't make this assessment untrue. I think we're definitely, we all could acknowledge we're in a different spot than we were yeah. in the thick of the pandemic. You and I, before we hit record, we're just talking about that when we were so weary and so spread thin and side yeah. to side energy, but it does feel like it is time for, for what's next. Yeah. And, and I think in order to do that, you have to kind of take stock of where you are. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and make some decisions about what you're finding when you look around. Yeah. When you're doing your assessment. And, you know, it sort of reminds me of a month after I started my job here at Tower Hill all those years ago was when Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey. And we had two weeks without power. It was a true disaster. Fortunately, you know, everyone that we knew was okay. We did have some folks in our congregation lose houses. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and we didn't know anybody yet. And we had a baby under one years old, uh, you know, and our other kids. And so I never felt so helpless. And I remember after the storm, it was like a day after I decided I was going to drive around to just sort of look at the damage and see what was going on. And you got a sense of, oh my gosh, like this could be a while when I saw the level of devastation, but something else happened in that storm. There's a family from the church who they knew that like, we didn't have heat. We didn't have anything. They had a generator and they had heat. 
And they invited us to go stay with them for part of the duration of the, of when we had no power. And I got to tell you that built some really amazing relationships that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. Here's my point. Yeah. In the midst of all of this, how do we take stock of the devastation that's happened within our ministries and where are the opportunities that we have that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise? Yep. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I think that's a good image. So assess the damage, if you will, look at what's happened, look what's fallen apart, which systems are offline. What, where, where did things kind of come apart at the seams a little bit these past two years? What's been neglected? All the, that kind of language. So take a look at it. Be honest about it. Get real because part of our job as leaders, again, define reality, name things as they actually are, not what you wish was true or all that. And then don't stop there because that's too depressing. Right? <laughs> look for the opportunities. Where's right. the, their opportunity to invite someone into your home? Where's the opportunity to to um, bring something back that meets a need now that um, and as a kind of an excuse to to rework some things and to make them thrive again. So a um, little different um, experience than yours. I was walking through our church just yesterday. I was looking for we're, we're redoing some flooring in a part of the building. Um, and I was looking for the leftovers from a previous flooring project because I wanted to use the sample so we could do the same flooring in both places, you know, and all that. And so I was walking through all these spaces that I hadn't been in for a long time. Um, different closets, you know, the closets that are off of rooms and down hallways and around corners. And you're like, what is in that closet again? And we have all kinds of stuff from, you know, 1994 mission trip. There was a bunch of soap that never got used. All this crazy stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the costumes from when we used to do recitals and and, and uh, Christmas pageants and all that. So, uh, but I was looking and I, as I was going through all these rooms, I was reminded of all the ministries that happened in those spaces. Some of them were our children's ministry spaces. Some of them were our youth ministry spaces. Some were adult small group spaces. And I, I, I just had this profound moment of, it's kind of chaotic in here. There was boxes and a couple that were stacked up and that room hadn't been utilized in a while and things like that. And, and it was a, a reminder to me to go, okay, we need to to take stock of how things are. But now is the time and the opportunity. One of the opportunities that I see in front of us right now is spring clean. Let's go through, let's get this kind of, let's get going again and bring this, this place back to, uh, to kind of full throttle, if you will. So assess the damage. Maybe that's just walking through your, your building, walking through your ministry life and thinking about all the pieces and what was there before and what maybe can come with you into the future. So a lot of pastors are talking about very specific things that they would consider fallout of the pandemic and and folks have a lot of questions. So I'm seeing in the church kind of revitalization space, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, very popular bloggers and, you know, other podcasters who are talking about these same three things over and over again, because they seem to be the top three on a lot of pastors and churches' minds, including ours. In fact, we had our session meeting last night, which is in the Presbyterian world, that's our elder board that really makes most of the decisions in the church. And these three things came up because they are things that we need to address. So I would say these are things I look out in our church and say, these, this is some fallout. So let's go just top three. Here we go. First one, in-person attendance. Everybody has seen, and you know, there's, everybody's got stats and you've seen and read all of this. You know, it's true across the country. There aren't as many people coming to church in person as there were in, uh, you know, before the pandemic started. Yep. 
And yes, we are making up some of that with online engagement, all of that. But the bottom line is way less people are coming. So the way it kind of kind of shakes out in our church is uh, it's by the way, yes, we have way less people in person that are coming, but especially our more traditional service, which is generally an older crowd, a more vulnerable population throughout the pandemic. Um, That service has more people watching online. We live stream it. And it's, it's really a fraction of what it was in person. Now, when you total out the numbers, they're, they're actually a little better than they were before the pandemic, which is interesting. But it's disheartening for the folks in that service to look around and feel like it's empty. And in fact, somebody really helped remind me of this in our staff meeting. Say, hey, you know what? We should tell them how many people are watching online because I don't think they know. Yeah. And, and it's so funny. That didn't occur to me. I'm like, that's a great idea. And so we started announcing it. People are like, oh, oh, thank goodness. You know, we thought it was really crashing, crashing and burning here. So part of it is, is communication sort of, you know, on how you're framing it. But yeah, here's where I'm going with this. Last week, we had a funeral, one of our longtime pillars of the church kind of members. And about 25% of the people who came are regular Tower Hillers who I haven't seen in two years because of the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And yet they were in the sanctuary and they were not wearing masks. So to me, what's that saying? It's not because they're afraid of COVID that they're not coming. So why are they not coming? Why was that the first time I've seen them in two years? And I actually asked a couple of them and you know what they said? They love watching online. And especially in winter, they don't have to worry about the ice. They don't have to worry about driving. Mm-hmm. They, it's easier on their bodies. They don't have to get up early and get ready. And our traditional service is an early service. It starts at 845. Uh, a lot of folks find it easier to, hey, let's tune in. Let's watch it. And I know that crowd's really watching. They're not just saying it because they'll comment on things that like Pastor Teresa's wearing. Like, <laughs> like okay, <laughs> That's awesome. we know you're watching, right? Yeah. Um, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, right, wrong, whatever. A lot of folks who would have considered themselves weekly regular attenders, mm-hmm. we have not seen in two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, and I'm sure some version of that is the same story for most of the folks listening in. If you're a leader in a church, you've probably seen the same reality. And certainly has been true here at Marine View. And we've been tracking, I mean, we keep, we count all that stuff and we try to create some longitudinal uh, sort of uh, charts and things that help us see that stuff over time. And so the, 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 the attendance piece is, uh, is crucial to, to kind of get a, a new barometer for. And, and I think at first you're looking at that number and you're going, that's half or 60% of what we were before. And I don't even want to count that because it's sort of depressing. And then there's a temptation maybe to go, well, actually, and then we add 20 or 30 people to the number to make it feel better or whatever we do. But here's the reason. I think now assessing the damage, if you want to call it that, let's get real about the number of people that come in person so that six months from now, we can go look at how look at where we've come from look how we've grown look etc so um i do think there's there's it does it's not all bad news it's kind of helping get our hearts and heads around the new reality we know there are people watching online so we should count that too and then i think we'll get to celebrate the rise in in person attendance again 
um, over the course of months. It may ne- it may take a long time to get back to where it was before, or maybe it won't ever quite get there. It'll be different, but um, I yeah. think there will be things to celebrate. So get on, be honest about what's going on. And even though this is in a uh, kind of a fallout category, this isn't even in the opportunity category. There's yeah. opportunities in this, right? Because what is this totally. telling me? It's telling me that I've got as much as two thirds of our worshiping congregation for that service are watching us online. So I better make online as engaging and compelling as I can. Yeah. Right. That, that there's an opportunity there. Yeah. There's an opportunity for that uh, ministry to happen. Then you have another category of folks in the in-person attendance who just got out of the habit of coming or who I've heard from who, I mean, they're strong people of faith, but, and they'll tell me, you know, Hey, I know it's not right that we haven't been coming, but since this pandemic, it's felt like carpe diem, kind of like we want to take trips and we want to go do things and we want to do that quality time together. We always dreamt of doing this and yeah. now we're doing it now because we are living our we best life. How much right time here. we have. Yeah. And I think just the most important thing in all that is, you know, I got so many people who I have to sort of like restrain who want to yeah. just like let them have it, set them straight. Yeah. Talk about priorities, right? Yeah. yeah. Please don't do that. Pastor, please don't do that. Don't, don't let people in your church do that either. Um, I don't think we should be in a place to criticize or condemn people for where they're at. I think we just have to acknowledge that's where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And you can address it head on without pounding them in the head, <laughs> right? You can address it and say like, Hey, I get it. But we actually, you know, we think church can yeah. be something that's, that can really help you. I mean, a yeah. closer relationship with Jesus is going to make your life better. Yeah. And by extension, those experiences you're going to have are going to have a lot more meaning when you're yeah. staying connected to God in your life, you know, in whatever ways you can right now and, and that kind of thing. So that in-person attendance thing and what we've noticed too in a quote, assessing the damage, if we want to keep on that strain is that it actually has cleared out some space in our midst to really notice new people. Yeah. And so again, we're, we're we, I don't want to go fully into the opportunity category yet because we're not quite there, but lower in-person attendance means new people are much more visible. And, um, I think they're they're So it's easier to connect and find them and, and remember their name and do all that. Um, when, when the numbers are a little lower. So take advantage of that opportunity right there in front of you. Yeah. Double down on connection because you can, you've got a little more room to do that. Keep encouraging your congregation to invite new people. Don't let them just get depressed and stuck in, you know, missing what was they well, Hey, let's, let's get out there. This is all the more reason we need to get out and start inviting people. Yeah. It can help create some urgency around invitation. People need community right now. So invite them to come and be a part of what we're doing. So that's the first one, just pure attendance. And the second one is as a related stat. So if in-person attendance is down and on a good weekend, we got, you know, X percent of the in-person attendance are serving as volunteers it's not a surprise then that the number of our volunteers is also down. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it, those are numbers are connected um, and people's habits and disciplines have changed during the course of the pandemic. Jason, I know you guys have seen that. One of the ways that showed up at Marine View, we have a really faithful group of coffee ministry people uh, that have done it for years. And the pandemic was sort of like a, ah, they finally got to like take a break and take a breather and then reassess 
as we come back on, uh, you know, in person, is that something I want to still do going forward? So it's, it's a complex situation related to volunteers, right? Where we're saying it's a, uh, it's related to the total number of in-person people, sort of, you're going to get a certain percent they are going to serve within that. And then there's this other layer of people who have served in the life of the church that maybe are saying, I'm not sure I want to step back into that or not as fully as I was before. So people are kind of reassessing at the same time. Yeah. And they're doing that with every area of their life. So why wouldn't church be any different? It's sort of a continuation of the last one. It's people are evaluating and you know what it's revealing to me, sadly, it's revealing how poorly we've treated volunteers for them to just want to quit volunteering. Right. Either, either it, you know, they raised their hand to go to the bathroom and they were all of a sudden in charge of the mission team <laughs> and it's been a decades long, you know, sentence or, or maybe their, their kids over the last couple of years, now they're in a different age and stage and it's, they're not able to be as active that way. Or, Hey, it's kind of nice not having to do stuff. It's kind of nice having a little more time. Right. So all of that is a problem. It, the problem is. We haven't made the volunteer experience. I know I'm going to listen. I feel the words coming out of my mouth and I feel people <laughs> cringing and yeah. saying, pastor, yep. bad theology. I get it. But I'm just trying to acknowledge the reality is that the experience of volunteering is not compelling for them. It is not rewarding. It's not, they don't feel like they're part of something that's moving, moving the needle. Yeah. They feel stuck. They feel trapped. They feel maybe taken advantage of or underappreciated, right? Yeah. Well, and I think we've somehow uncoupled un, uh, unknowingly and certainly not on purpose, but somehow the volunteer experience often becomes detached from a sense of how I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus. So yeah. it's like, you know, we, you know, we are good at saying when you serve, you grow, you know, we have all those kinds of statements that we make when we're recruiting volunteers, but then the actual experience of serving becomes much more like you said, and it's not, there's the, the, the discipleship piece or the growing in my faith as I serve. It happens anecdotally, but I, I think for, for some folks, they've said, no, I, I just felt like machinery and I'm, I was ready for a break. Um, I would relate it to my experience with, um, as we kind of jump back in this fall out here in the Pacific Northwest, baseball started back up. So we do fall ball with our son and some activities for my daughter, uh, uh, she was doing some some violin stuff and other kinds of things. And all of a sudden we went from no activities to like back in action. And for the first three weeks, it was it felt really good. I was like, oh, it's so nice to be doing some things again. By week four, you know what my <laughs> wife Callie and I were saying? We were like, man, it was kind of nice not to have anything to worry about or be at or go to or get to. And and I think there was a little bit of that going, we're I don't want to just go back to the grind like it was either. So that's part of that evaluation piece. Are we going to say yes to as many things as we said yes to before the pandemic? And now people are looking at that. Volunteering in the life of the church means you have to be there on a Sunday in person and on a regular basis in a committed way. And we're counting on you. And so am I ready to make that commitment again, uh, a part of my life going forward? So that's yeah. that's what I see happening at Marine View. I see people going, um, I'm not sure if I want to say yes to that again at least not in the way that I did before. And here's some ideas from uh, Carrie Newhoff had a blog post recently. I think it was within this last week about why we're losing volunteers. I think it's kind of helpful to just read through his list. Um, he's, it's titled six reasons you're losing high capacity volunteers. The first, the challenge isn't big enough. 
So he seems to think, and and I would agree with this, it, it, that it has to do with with what we're asking of them. That people actually rise to the occasion when they see that this is something that's big and important, and that you know, and that's a challenge, right? Because how big and important can it feel to be like, hey, you're the greeter, or you're the, I mean, yeah, that's big and important, but it doesn't doesn't feel that big and important, right? Maybe we need to up up the stakes a little bit. Maybe we need, and that means maybe giving more responsibility to volunteers Mm -hmm. uh, to do things. So I thought that was, that was pretty good. Yeah. The second, and we've talked about this before, the vision, mission, and strategy is fuzzy. It's hard to know why you're doing what you're doing in the big picture. If there is no articulation of the big picture, I mean, vision is really important. Yeah. Third, you're disorganized. (laughs) stop it that would never be true for a church stop it oh man guilty guilty often it's like uh hey we really need to do something and then they sort of don't hear anything about how to do it or (laughs) what the expectations are or Or how long they're gonna the commitment lasts or any yeah when when's the training gonna happen um yeah we had a, a question somebody was like so when do when do we get trained and i was like yeah training Probably should have thought of that one. Good um, idea. Yeah, great idea. <laughs> Do you want to lead it? I could give you some resources, right? But yeah, the, the I, I mean, these are this is good, right? Um, you know, we want people to have a good experience. It needs to be connected to a sense of I have some ownership. I mean, that piece makes good sense, and maybe that's even delegating some decision making authority within their opportunity. You know how how are we going to do that? And then um, on the vision piece. I'll be honest, Jason, this has been the hardest season to look very far ahead on and be clear about what vision is. I mean, I know what our vision and mission statements are. That's not, the, but like, how, how do we create a compelling, uh, urgent need around a service opportunity? I think a lot of that stuff has gone away. So, uh, and then the organized piece, that's just shame on us. Look, get your act together. Let's go. Yeah. 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 Uh, this next one, we had a younger elder on our session actually said the same thing last night says this, you let people off the hook too easily Ah. that there needs to be a little bit of holding feet to the fire and not letting people flake out without any kind of conversation around it. And I think that's different than, you know, again, sort of beating someone over the head with, with sure, you know, their lack of uh, follow through, but I think, you know, some loving, Hey, this is really important. Really counting on you. Uh, to do this. If this is going to work, we need, we need folks doing what they say they're going to do. And I know that's hard and that's not something that we all look forward to, but I think there's some truth in that. And I think it's front ending a a little bit and going, if you're going to say yes to this, we need you to say yes and mean it. And if that means you can't say yes and take it on, um, we wish that wasn't true. We hope you will say yes, but don't say yes and then don't and then not follow through. We really need to be able to count on you right now, et cetera. And so I, I don't know. Maybe there's a way to get out ahead of that um, so that you, I don't know, you weed some people out before you get to that hard conversation. None of us like that stuff in ministry. We don't no, have to do that. No, we'll no. send your your young elder to have that conversation. With yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and then the last two, I'll, I'll just I'll just name. I, they're sort of self-explanatory, but one, you're not giving them enough personal attention. Right. Again, you sort of set it and forget it with your volunteers. And then you don't have enough high capacity volunteers around them. So you got nobody modeling what it's supposed to be like. And and that's hard to manage when 
when you're busy with ministry, these are the things that get left behind. And what Carrie Newhoff's argument is, we can't do that anymore. Can't afford to do that anymore because volunteers are going to keep leaving in droves or not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And we've sort of leaned heavily on some of those high capacity volunteers to the point where they're almost pseudo pseudo staff sometimes, and that's not quite fair. And then, so they're leaning back and then the people who come in behind them are just like, I'm here to help, but I don't know exactly what to do. So then they don't have a great experience and that we just, we got to pay attention to that. Yeah. So volunteers, in-person attendance. And then the third one is giving. That's, that's the one that I'm hearing. I probably should have been number one. Cause that's what I'm hearing the most is about giving. It's not very spiritual to put the finances. I know, I know. Right. But that's the thing everyone's talking about. And right. what are we going to do? And we're a little bit behind or we're a lot of bit behind. It felt like during the crisis of the pandemic, I know I heard about your church and many yeah. other churches, big, small, all sizes were saying people were super faithful to yeah, keep everybody rallied funded. the troops, right? Yeah. Rallied together. Let's get yeah. through this. Yep. But now we have a lot more ministry expenses because things are open. We're doing yep. more and less people in the building every week. And, you know, it's trying to figure out, well, how are we going to fund this? Giving is down. So here at Tower Hill, uh, currently uh, giving's good, but it's down from where we want it to be. And we're already thinking of a March a three-week stewardship little mini campaign. So I'm going to make a video and we're going to send that out in an email blast. And I'm going to talk about it briefly in worship. And the the thing that I'm going to do, and this is the, the, the way you sort of tackle giving is I'm going to connect ministry impact with giving. Yeah. So we have our confirmation coming up. We got six students who are, who are going to get baptized in the service on March 20th. And I'm going to be able to show them this is what makes this possible. Like you're giving, like this is these kids saying yes to a life of faith in Jesus Christ is made possible by the generosity of your gifts. And here's where Mm -hmm. we are. You got to connect it to ministry impact because for a lot of people, I mean, giving is just a different animal than it used to be. Many churches that I used to work for, even, you know, before I was a pastor, they would build their budgets around pledge cards. Yep. And I know a lot of churches still do that. And it reflected just a different time generationally of giving. And what we discovered is when our church got a lot younger is they just weren't interested in pledge cards. That's not how they want to give. Yeah. They'll give, but it looks different. They give a lot more like a, uh, a telethon or an infomercial or something that stirs them up in the moment and compels them to make a difference. Yeah. Not, Hey, before I even set my budget the rest of the year, this is how much we're going to honey, let's pray over how much we're going to give to the church. Like, it's just, it's just a different process. Yep. Yep. It can still be great, but the thing that people want the most right now, especially if they're under 45, they want to be inspired to give. Now I know, I know theologians, I know. They should want to give as their act of discipleship to Jesus Christ. They, we've all read the scriptures. We know how Jesus feels about I get it. But then there's how things are and how do we help them get to where Jesus wants them, not just for the sake of our church, but just in their discipleship. Yeah. You start with where they are. So 
I think is if you can just start connecting ministry impact with giving and you actually talk about it, and maybe you could come up with a challenge budget with a compelling vision, say, hey, we really feel like we need to hit this benchmark in the next three weeks, four weeks. Something you get your head around, something you get to see, and hopefully it will inspire people to be a part of something in their giving. Yeah, I think that's some good thinking. It definitely connecting people's giving to, you know, how are we fulfilling the mission because of what you did? And here's uh, those things. And then for us, you know, we've kind of done a, a, um, you know, we live in hybrid world now, right? So um, increasingly we've had a shift towards online giving over the last eight or 10 years. And so now I would say 70% of our giving or so is online. And um, we don't even actually collect a physical offering. We just have a box in the back now, which is so feels so risky, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why we ended up doing that. Um, and I, I, I won't get into it here, but one of the ways that we tackle the pledge card, um, is for some people that's still meaningful. And so we're not going to, I don't want to take that away. So we, we typically would have included some, something of a commitment card in our, in our stewardship efforts. Um, for those that, that, that find that to be a meaningful dis- act of their, uh, discipleship. And then for others, we've said, uh, or you can skip the pledge card, you know, create a recurring gift online. And we'll look at that the same way we look at a pledge and we'll know that we can count on your giving uh, this year. And so thank you for doing that. Here's the instructions on how to create a recurring gift. And we really appreciate your partnership and ministry. And we're grateful for all the, you know, all that, you know. So I think there's a way to uh, still get a sense of a forecast of what's to come. Through so, so if you look at your recurring giving, any pledge cards you do, and and then others we've noticed too that some of our our, our givers they give historically have given the, the same amount for a number of years. They don't do a pledge card and they're not giving online, but it's been reliable. And so we've had members of our finance team sometimes will reach out and say, "Hey, you know, thank you. Are you planning to give at about the same level as as last year?" Um, you know, if not, that's okay, but we just wanted to know what, so as we make plans for our budget. So part of that maybe is getting your finance folks a little more involved in the process. If that's something your church culture would, would allow for. So, uh, it's important, Jason, cause you know, uh, it's easy to just kind of back off that conversation, but there are real, a lot of healthy ways to, to talk about finances in the life of the church. And you don't have to shy away from it. I know none of us became pastors to talk about that, but, um, it's important and it's a, it is a part of our discipleship. So got to get in there, but assessing the damage means looking at it and going, where are we? How are things going? And then finding meaningful, authentic ways to communicate that with your congregation and provide some opportunities. Yeah. And, and then when you have some kind of data, then you can be optimistic for a reason and not optimistic because you're overly optimistic based on nothing. Yep. Like, um, I, so I think that's part of it, right? You have to arm, arm yourself with what's the snapshot of where we're, where we yeah. really are. And we talked about some of the opportunities that come up, but even other opportunities, I'm just thinking of like three off the bat engagement. And we sort of yep. talked about that. There's a real opportunity to engage right now as we're relaunching, rebooting. The second is vision. Has it been a long time since you've done any vision work in your church? Then you had a, or a vision campaign or some sort of thing that says, this is the direction we all want to row in together to fulfill the mission. Right. And then the other opportunity is discipleship. Like how does the calling and sending 
of a life of faith in Jesus Christ. How's that speak to this moment right now? Yeah. We c- we are being sent to this world that so <laughs> desperately needs Jesus. Yeah. Can you think of some people to invite the church? Can you think of some ways that you can get involved in your local PTO yeah. or or in your local uh, sports group? You know, do you want to coach this year? Is there there's some things you could do to you know, help bring the love of Jesus to the community that you're meant to serve, right? Because that's where disciples would get stuck is it's like I attend 500 Bible studies and I never do anything with it. Mm-hmm. It's like carb loading for a marathon you never run. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think those are good. Engagement, vision, discipleship, areas of opportunity and focus. And I think I like your idea of a kind of a three-week stewardship effort, if you will. Um, we're doing something similar, um, not just related to the finances, but we're saying, we're saying, Hey, let's all evaluate our participation and engagement in our, our church life. And we're going to do that leading up to March 27th. It includes giving, but also serving, inviting, uh, you know, being a part of a group or a circle where you're growing in faith and saying, we're just going to do an assessment, not only of where we are as a church, but also challenging our people to look at their life and go, how am I doing in these areas that help move the mission of the church forward, but also will help them grow in faith. So that's connected to that discipleship one you're talking about there. Um, So some version of that, Jason, I think is appropriate, right? Taking a hard look at everything, create casting some vision, inviting people to do some of that, looking at their own faith journey in light of the pandemic, and then let's move forward together. What's this exciting direction that God is calling us in? as we do that. So good stuff, Jason, as always, uh, appreciate the the topic, the conversation and uh, plowing through uh, this season of ministry together, man. It's been a crazy stretch, but we're making it. Yeah. So everyone, thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this community. And if you ever want to reach out and talk, uh, Jason or Jesse at reclaimleader.com. And until next time, remember ministry is hard. It's so much better when we do it together. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.